In August 2006, I moved from Scotland, as depicted by the Duke of Wellington statue with the cone on its head, to Sydney, Australia, a beautiful place with a giant harbour with boats, lovely. And it was a land of contrast. I came from Glasgow, where unlike Australia, the spiders don't kill you if they bite you. And the sun is unlikely to kill you in Scotland. The snakes are in zoos, not in gardens or paths in Australia, where they might kill you. And in Australia, the chocolate had this added waxiness, so it didn't melt, and it's pretty foul. The language was harder to understand than even being in Aberdeen. And they seemed to have this local cuisine, which wasn't deep fried, and it didn't kill you. But familiarity surprises you in really odd ways. And one of the first ways I discovered how familiar Scotland and Australia actually were was tall poppy syndrome. So this is the phenomenon that when something basically gets too high, too lofty, too successful, we sort of look for it, lean in, and just cut it down a peg. It's very common in Australia, very common in Britain, and that was what brought me a sense of home in that land. Not the snakes, not the sun, tall poppy syndrome. You know, we do it all the time over here. We did it with Coldplay a few years ago. We're probably going to do it to James Corden and Olivia Coleman, anyone who's becoming just a little bit too successful. And it's kind of this desire we have to cut down to size anything that seems to attain beyond us. And I wonder if tonight in this passage, there's something in the reaction from the disciples that smacks of this tall poppy syndrome. Maybe that attitude prevails in us. Maybe it's even stronger than that sense of ambition we see in James and John asking Jesus this radical question. Is this sense of tall poppy syndrome in us? Thinking, how dare they ask that of Jesus? And so tonight, we're left with these amazing questions from this passage. What do we do with our ambitions? What do we do with our drives for success? What do we do with our need to be the best? What do we do with our addictions to certainty or to success? What do we do with our lack of grace for ourselves that that all brings? Our report cards, our compliments, our failures, our jealousy, our hunger. Tonight, we didn't come to hear a message or a talk. And every time I come to hear someone preach, I really hope that we didn't come to just get fed from a sermon, but we came to worship the Lord. So hopefully before we dive into this, we just do a little bit of redirecting our minds, our hearts. Because we're not here to just get fed on a talk. This is about the King of Kings, the creator of each one of us, the sustainer of life on earth, the one who started you. Because we might hear something from God tonight that will actually change the way that we interact with each person going forward. Thousands of people could be touched by what God is doing amongst us tonight, just now. If we believe God wants to speak to us and wants to transform us and release us and surround us, then it's important that we just set ourselves up right. So I want to encourage you, take notes, open up whatever it is that's going to help you, keep the passage in front of you, dive into it, disagree with this, agree with this, write down questions. We're all learning this. 
So set your own expectation for what can happen just now. We didn't just come to get fed or critique a sermon because we've got podcasts for that and YouTube. We didn't just come for the worship and music because we've got podcasts for that and YouTube. Um, we've come here tonight to seek God and to know his transforming power in our lives. Like, I'm not here for, for anything less, eh? So tonight, we are looking to Jesus to redirect our ambitions, to receive his leadership, and then to release sacrificial and servant leaders into our city. So let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus Christ, we are your children. You are the Lord. And we want to hear from you tonight. We thank you that we have heard from your word. We thank you that we gather together in a safe space in the middle of a city. And so we ask you, God, come and change us. Come transform us. Give us a picture of what it is you want to do. Give us actions to take on from tonight. But we are here and we long to meet with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight's argument amongst the disciples, one of the many that seems to crop up, is really an argument about leadership. So let me ask you tonight, what is your definition of leadership? And what person springs to mind when you think of a leader? So what's your definition of leadership? And what person springs to mind when you think of a leader? Now, we've got thousands of opinions on this. And I think it would just be really important that we get a few of those in here so that we can go forward with that. So I just invite you to take 30 seconds to um, speak to a couple of people around you. Um, share your name if you've not met them yet. And just say, what is your definition of a leader? And what springs to mind when you think of a leader? And we'll come back in about 30 seconds. Go for it. Okay. This could turn into a fantastic seminar, but we just want some real quick fire responses. So just begin to shout them out. What's your definition of a leader? Someone who leads a... A lecturer. Great. Any more? Mandela, brilliant, okay, excellent. Keep them coming, any more definitions of a leader? Compassionate, oh, that was good. We've got some good ones. So are you recognizing there's a whole range? Yeah. Someone who empowers others, brilliant. Patience and tolerance. We're gonna have loads of definitions and I want you to hold yours tonight. And I want you to hold the fact that there are loads of understandings about this word. We're going to introduce a sort of working definition for tonight that sets us up to think about what God's doing in this passage. And I want to simplify it because leadership can promote so many pictures and images in our mind. And this is a really simple one. It's from a guy called John Maxwell. He's kind of like the Yoda of leadership. Um, he inverts his quotes a lot and he's an excellent guy. But John Maxwell says this simply, leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is as influence. So what does that mean? That means if you're in this room just now, you're influencing it. It means if you're breathing right now, you're causing influence and you're leading. It means if your heart's going, then you're doing something to the temperature of this room and you're creating something in it. 
in the room at the moment, depending on what we're, what we're looking at, how we're interacting, it creates an amazing influence. You might be smiling, you might be scowling, you might have this sense of looking engaged, you might have the sense that it's like I kidnapped your cat. Um, everyone has these different expressions and ways of influencing, and we're always leading. If you made a decision today, you are leading and you are influencing. So what does Jesus do with our influence? What does Jesus do with ambition? And what does Jesus do with leadership? In this amazing passage that we dived into tonight, there's an ongoing issue. These two brothers, James and John, are expressing their desire to be great, but also to be greater than the others. Peter, James, and John were three in a group of about 72, a big, large lump of disciples. And Jesus had his 12, who he's pretty tight with. They're the ones that will kind of, you know, remember the names. And then he's got the three right in there, the close-knit circle. And even amongst those three, they're vying for position. Perhaps James and John are jealous of Peter because Peter keeps messing up and Jesus just teaches them and just teaches them these little wise insights and says, hey, I'm going to build my church on you. Is there jealousy going on? There's rivalry. And they're having this argument that then shows up their ambition, which is going to happen, eh? You've hung out with the Son of God for a couple of years and I naturally understand you're going to want in on what he seems to be offering. This Jesus is saying, there's a new kingdom, there's a new world. He's the healer, and they see this, and there's this upstart against the Roman Empire. And it's an argument that just keeps on coming up. Who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Who's going to get to sit on the right? Who gets to sit on the left? We're brothers. That works. Equal. <laughs> and Jesus just gets this over and over. The argument comes up later at the Last Supper. Who will be the greatest in your kingdom? This is at Jesus' like retirement dinner. This would be the equivalent of me at Dave's retirement dinner going, hey, Dave, I got it. You know, what, what would happen if we just like dismantled the building project that you did? And what if we sang Shine Jesus Shine like every week? And what if we actually change our allegiance as a church from Man United to, uh, to Celtic like we've done with the uh, lighting tonight? What if we just ban Arrow Grey Tea? Like, I should know Dave by now. These guys should know Jesus' heart by now. But in kindness as usual, Jesus is redirecting them. And we need Jesus to redirect these ambitions, these jealousies, these appetites. Now, why? You might have been taught at school, ambition is great. Get hungry, get through it, go for it. And that's right, but we need ambition to be placed in a healthy context. Look around you now and go through your news feed, perhaps. How much of that is caused by a misguided ambition? How much of what we see in the news is just individuals' misguided ambition puffing up? So this has consequence. Misdirected ambition coupled with poor character is what produces politicians who can make sexually abusive comments and still run to become a president. It's when scandals aren't met with justice and accountability, but just another scandal to trump the next day. It's when billions get wiped from the most vulnerable because someone sees an area to exploit in a finance system that will make them rich. 
It's what leads to people trafficking in this city. It's what disrupts church and community as power rises up and people puff for it. It's why empires rise. It's why ISIS doesn't stop. And it's why the rich keep getting richer and richer. Misdirected ambition is greed. So Jesus says, let's redirect this. So let's turn that into some healthy expression of ambition. I think as a church in Scotland, we seem to have thrown ambition under the bus with greed. But what's that released in us? It's our tall poppy syndrome. Have we become silent, dormant doormats who have stopped rising to influence culture and to speak into it and just gave that over to the few? We see the idea of Peter and John promoting themselves in this passage, and we've probably already judged them before the reading's done. I have. I've put them in this box that says, why are you guys piping up? Who are you to call yourselves on the left and right of Jesus? Jesus then recognizes what's going on here, redirects it, and points out something powerful. He points out that to redirect your ambition means going lower. It means recognizing the suffering that might come. He asks, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? A commonly understood phrase amongst the disciples that would resonate with suffering, with the cost, the fury of it all. And Jesus is aware of what's happening to him. He knows where he's going at this point. Imagine he's walking around. He's read the Old Testament. He's seen the Romans and what they do to people. He's seen what happens to messiahs and saviors who don't pass. He would have gone past Jerusalem in times and seen Golgotha where he would be crucified. He would be walking along roads marked with people on either side being crucified for upstarting against the Romans. He knows what it's going to cost. I think some of us need to look at what Jesus went through to show us this life and this greatness. Jesus calls us to redirect our ambitions to his kingdom and his cause, to others, and to a sacrificial life. This is his model. So let Jesus redirect your ambition and receive this sacrificial servant leadership as our model. I think I find Jesus' leadership, leadership quite surprising. And being totally honest, I find it quite disappointing at times. It's not this seven steps of success. It's not a book I can buy and download and find out Jesus' kind of behind-the-scenes principles. Because we see that, you know, Jesus is the greatest leader of all time, and I believe that. But I think I only believe that because I know he was resurrected. Before that, what were we left with? I mean, Jesus' leadership way isn't going to go next to John Maxwell and Mandela on the shelf. At the end of his third year of ministry, of his 12 closest, like one betrayed him to death, one denied he knew him, the others completely scarpered. And it wasn't even, it was even worth noting that one ran so fast, he lost his cloak and was naked. Like this is the company going down in flames, the leader getting the re arrested, and the head of HR running off naked. This thing is collapsing. Like in the team I lead here in this church, it's as if Stephen sells me off for like 190 quid 
That's about how much it was. And then Rachel denying she knows who I even am when it comes to standing up for me. I mean, the, the team is gone. We're just left with this abandoned rabbi with no disciples making a sacrifice that only he understood. This is what Jesus knows he's stepping into. This is radical humanity. This is a life of comfort, predictability, and control out the window. This is a life of freedom, of service, of wonder, of power, of vulnerability, of contradictions of our logic, and it's stunning. The Christian life is stunning. It looks like us creating ways for those around us to become brilliant, to be great. And in this, no, that's where greatness is actually lying. Jesus gives us this model that is humility. Humility, the ability to create an environment for others to thrive in. Do we want this kind of life? Do we want this kind of savior? If misdirected ambition is greed, then service is the greater purpose of our realigned ambition. If misdirected ambition is greed, service is the greater purpose of our realigned ambition. So we receive Jesus' model to serve. And we release a servant, sacrificial leadership. When I thought of this message, I actually thought, I'm basically unfit to preach this. I look at others who preach this message every day by how they live, and they do it in a stunning way. There's a humility and a selflessness that hasn't genuinely crossed my mind in years. I see thoughtful servant-led leaders all around me, and it completely humbles me. I see our clergy team who sacrifice simple things like a weekend to serve people, who give evenings, who give time, who give that emotional energy. I look at our production teams who sit way, way off, up in the skies there, and who are just, just faithful, long-standing servants. But they kind of serve so far up sometimes. I don't know if they're praising and worship or trying to alarm me that my voice is flat or something, but they're up and down all the time, serving every one of us so we can hear, we can worship together. I see people in children's ministry like wiping blood off of Jenga blocks and stuff if kids have cut their hands. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I see people serving youth ministry who like mop up vomit and set up for like a mini festival every week. It's incredible. This church, it's like it is rife with servants. And do we see them? Do we see God moving in his people even here? I'm stunned by the generosity that we get to see. I, I don't know about you, but I feel I often run a bit of a DIY narrative. That if it's not done up to scratch, that I'll just kind of do it myself. Growing up, it was very much the idea, just take on the low task. This is where our kind of Scottish humility might come in. Just mop the floor, get the broom, stack the chairs. And I wonder if sometimes that's our own way of asking Jesus for the seat next to him. That we've done the low task for so long. We've just been faithful. We've just tried to help out. 
But is there something in us that has then pushed us to say, well, now I get to sit next to Jesus because I've done this for so long? So how do we release people into service? How do we influence in a really healthy way without getting out those tall poppy cutters and without being doormats? How can we sacrifice in a way that causes others around us to thrive? And we want to just really grab something here that's going to take us into next week. Again, this isn't about a talk and a message. This is about something that carries with us into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, into homes, offices, everywhere. So what one thing could we maybe give up in order for someone else to rise and for ourselves to lead selflessly? Maybe just start with your area of influence, not your title, your position, the letters around your name. Just start with the room that you sit in every day. What's that room? Is it the kitchen? Is it the classroom? Is it when you're in the staff room, the boardroom, the hospital ward, the desk, the streets, the coffee shop? And just ask yourself, take yourself there. Who is there that you can serve? And what is there that you're influencing just now? Because we need to see Jesus moving through us next week. And who do you want to be in the area you influence? If you still struggle with this idea of influence, then start with the fact that you're changing the temperature of the room there. You, you have a lot of influence where you are. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's just shaking one person's hand. Or being in the meeting and saying, God, what is your grace going to do? What can we do to transform something in that? In the next class or in the meeting? It's just that one thing. Is it a handshake? Is it a cup of tea? Is it not ignoring someone? So you might feel overwhelmed or under-equipped by this notion that you're a leader in God's eyes. Um, so we want to recognize the beauty of this. The disciples who asked Jesus to be seated, to be at his left and his right, what they didn't know is that behind the scenes, as we hear from Paul, is that we get described that we are seated with Christ. And we don't need to worry about who's on the left or the right. But we get told in Ephesians 2, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? So these disciples who are vying for position, trying to get next to Jesus, Jesus already has a thought which says, you're with me. You will be seated there. There's a place. And that's where we start tonight. I think we really need to know this. What would happen if you knew you couldn't achieve more for God? What would you end up living if you knew you were already seated with him, that he'd prepared a place for you at the table where you were welcomed, 
and where he actually desires to serve you. What would it look like? And knowing you're already seated, that you're already loved, that he already sacrificed for you, and he already suffered for you. He already knows our ambitions. He knows what we're struggling to let go of. He knows we're scared. He knows our love to control everything. He knows our need to be really, really the one who is right. But we see Jesus working with his disciples there, inviting us into an influence, inviting us to lead, but not taking the high road, not crashing in with our agendas, but to serve, to come underneath the systems that we see. Jesus invites us to come underneath the angling in politics. Jesus invites us to come underneath the agendas we have to promote ourselves. Jesus invites us to come underneath our needs to control. And he says, serve. And that's where we find him. He says, you have a seat at the table and he will guide us through. He won't leave us to greed. He redirects our ambition. He won't withhold who he is from us. We can receive his way of serving and leading. We can release that. Sacrificial servant influence everywhere we step, every conversation. But perhaps it just starts with this week, that one room that you enter where we become an influence and we become a servant. Where do you need your ambition redirected through Jesus? Who do you want to serve? And what room are you entering into influence for? Let's take some time to ask Jesus to make this clear to us. Amen.